It's really great to be here. I'm always a little embarrassed by being introduced, but that's really nice because it saves me um, having to do it for myself. So uh, I was thinking we've already had like three really good sermons this morning, and I don't know what else to add because we had somebody who shared a life-changing story about a rock, but really that was about somebody investing in them and helping them to grow closer to Jesus. We've had many people in your church stepping up to serve this morning. And isn't that what the body of Christ is all about? Everybody working together to share the gospel, which was a beautiful picture. We had somebody who paused the service to make sure that everybody could take communion together. I just want to say that was a profound moment to me. What if we all made sure everybody was included? in uh in in christ so i just i just want to say that i'm i've already been impacted by being here and I re- i'm really thankful for each one of you and your service to god in this community uh, so i will attempt to add a little something uh, to what you have already seen and heard this morning uh, but as carmen already said i live in langley i have three kids and my bio is a little old because i now have a 20 year old Uh, So I've graduated from having all teenagers. That just means I'm a little more stressed out than I was a few years ago uh, when I wrote that bio. And I love working for Fellowship Pacific, which is the denomination that Ocean View belongs to. And it's a real privilege for me. And being part of Fellowship Pacific, some of you might not know that you are a part of more than 100 churches across BC and Yukon, and even a couple out east uh, in eastern Canada. And our whole mission is to leverage the collective strength to have a God-honoring purpose in BC and beyond. That's our whole purpose. And we really believe that together we can make a bigger difference for the kingdom of God. And so you're, you're a part of that bigger difference. And we have this kind of fun little tagline that we've adopted the last couple of years. And it says this, it's boldly forward. So we're going to go boldly forward, never alone. Okay, it's kind of catchy. It's easy to remember. But really what that reminds us, boldly forward reminds us that our mission of helping people know Christ and grow in the relationship with Christ is really worth giving our life for. It's worth going boldly forward for. And never alone reminds us that we need, we need each other. And we don't want to be alone on this journey of sharing Christ. We need the Lord. We need each other for inspiration. We need encouragement, expertise, and occasionally a little course correction from one another. And so as you boldly serve Christ in Ladysmith, it's exciting to know that you are part of a mission across our province. And so I always want to take a moment and remind us of that. One of the things you should know about me is that I am an island girl, okay? I grew up in Nanaimo, and actually a lot of my family still lives here. And so I feel like I'm actually coming home whenever I come here. And when I was a teenager, my family moved into a new house in Nanaimo, and I got my very own room. Anybody else experienced that, where you finally got your own room? I was sharing with a sibling, and the only thing about that room is that it was in an unfinished basement, and my walls were made of blankets, 
and my carpet was that bright 70s orange color. Does anybody remember that color of carpet that was so famous? I hated that carpet, okay, with a passion, but I loved having my own room. And, and now it serves actually as a profound reminder of something really important that happened in my life. Because one day when I was about 17, it's a long time ago now, I was trying to decide what to do after high school. And I, I was very conflicted. I was conflicted between what seemed really logical, which to my brain when I was 17 was to be an engineer because I liked math and science, or what I thought God wanted me to do. There was this conflict going on for me. And I remember getting on down on my knees right on that orange carpet and praying and asking God to direct my life. And I remember saying to God, I remember saying to him this big, huge statement, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you want me to go, even Africa. I remember thinking that in myself. I will follow you wherever I want you want me to go. And when I look back, that big, bold statement that I made to God when I was 17 changed the whole direction of my life. And you know, since that time, I've heard many stories of people's orange carpet moments. Moments in time when people decide to follow Jesus in a greater or more unique or just in a different kind of way. Just the other day, I heard a beautiful story of a young woman who's about 30, and she just went through our Immerse program with Fellowship Pacific and another church in the Lower Mainland. She graduated with her Master's of Divinity. She had a wonderful ministry at this church, serving in prison ministry, helping the church with outreach events. And you know, she had a bright future there, actually, to really make a difference. And a few months ago, she went on a cruise with her family. Doesn't that sound awesome? A Mediterranean cruise. And guess what she found happening on that cruise? Throughout the whole time, she kept coming across people who wanted to talk about spiritual things. And she had time after time of sharing the love of Christ with people on her holiday on a Mediterranean cruise. And she got back from that at that. Uh, experience. And she's like, something has changed for me. I think there's something different that God has want, wants me to do. And recently, she decided she's going to join Operation Mobilization. I know, don't know if you've heard of these mercy ships that travel around the world for two years and share the gospel at different ports of call. That was an orange carpet moment for her where she made a big, bold decision for Christ. Well, maybe you remember that first time you eagerly decided to follow Jesus wherever he would leave you, lead you. And you could call this an inflection point. Some of you are going to know that word, uh, but inflection point is a mathy term, which looks, looks on a graph like this. Yeah, fancy, pretty fancy uh, picture there. And in business terms, it would mean like a new or market suddenly opening up, right? Some kind of big disruptive innovation appearing. And it kind of forever changes the way you're going to think, the way you're going to act, or what you're going to do. And we might think of like the internet, 
You know, some of you kids out there are like, well, the internet's old news, but for me, the internet was big news. The smartphone, 9-11, COVID, now it's probably going to be AI that's going to change the way we think things. And actually, your church is going through an inflection point right now as you transition to a new leader. It's kind of a big switch in thinking about things in a new way. And you know, Jesus' arrival on earth was also an inflection point. But my orange carpet moment was an inflection point for me. So maybe think of what some of those were for you. And today we're going to look at a passage where I think these two guys, when they had this encounter with Jesus, that was a major orange carpet inflection point for them. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to read Matthew 8. 18 to 22, and it's also, I think, on the screen there for you. And this is what it says, says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to, came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, disciple number two, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. When you first read that, it's a little bit confusing. But Matthew writes about this after recording Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and also after recording three different miracles, the healing of the leper, the healing of the centurion's servant, and the healer, healing of a sick mother-in-law. And Luke has actually a very similar account of these encounters with Jesus. And this is one of several instances of Jesus' call to follow him. And it helps us understand that the miracles Jesus performed were not just about showing his power. They were not just about simply showing compassion and love, but ultimately a call to action, a call for people to dramatically change the direction of their lives to follow Jesus. And I imagine the situation kind of like this. Jesus is trying to retreat from the crowd by crossing to the other side of the lake, right? And maybe he's tired or he just has some other kind of purposes in his mind, but he doesn't shy away from challenging a couple people who are trying to pursue him or trying to catch up to him, who are trying to follow him. And he says this, these two guys approach him, and the first guy to approach him, I would say he's a little bit over-eager. We're going to call him an over-eager guy. And it says here that he is a teacher of the law, so that would have meant he was Jewish, and he would have known the ins and outs of following the law, doing everything right. And you you might remember that Matthew is written with a Jewish audience in mind. And typically, we see the, the teachers of the law challenging and refusing to believe Jesus. But here we have a very eager, somewhat over-eager, teacher of the law. And perhaps he has heard the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps he has seen all the miracles, and he was eager to get on that bandwagon with Jesus. Maybe Jesus' charisma, 
his authority and his miracles had stirred up this emotional response in him. We don't really know, but we do know that the teacher of law, the law makes this really bold statement to Jesus. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. Sounds like my orange carpet moment a little bit. Well, first of all, notice that he called him teacher. He didn't understand the full scope of who Jesus was, but he did understand that he was someone worth listening to. He may have thought he was the Messiah, but really in the sense that all Jews expected the Messiah to come as a king and a ruler of everything, to make the nation better. And maybe he was hoping for some kind of advantage in life, being associated with the soon-to-be king. But as Jesus always seems to do, he sees way more than what the follower is actually saying. He stays straight to his heart, to his motives. And he responds with that, this phrase, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I love, I love this about Jesus, right? I love his big, bold, shocking responses to people. Even the animals are going to have a better place to stay than you if you follow me. And to me, that sounds like a discouragement, right? To follow him. And I kind of like the way the message puts it. It says it this way. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And the rewards of following him may not include physical comforts they were used to. And you need to consider this before you follow me. Jesus actually uses this title, Son of Man. And this is a phrase that's actually used 28 times in the book of Matthew. And commentators say it refers back to Daniel in chapter 7, where it describes the Son of Man as someone who receives the worship due to God alone. And using this title would have actually revealed his identity as the long-awaited Messiah and King. But this term also identified him with people, with humans, and, and would be as someone who would suffer. So it had this idea of being the king, but also of suffering. And in other passages about the Messiah, in Isaiah 53, it also says that he will suffer and die. So the, the Son of Man will suffer and die. And this would have been profound to this teacher of law, right? He would have understood who Jesus was actually claiming to be. But as many, as many Jewish people at the time, he may not have understood the sacrifice that Jesus was going to, make, going to make and what that would mean for his followers. But later in Matthew, Jesus makes this path very clear. Matthew 10.22 says, you will be, Jesus said, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands to the end will be saved. So not everybody is going to be like you. Many of you are going to have difficult experiences. And Matthew 10, 38 to 39 says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Or Matthew 16, 24, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone, in, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Even not now, we know that we are risking everything by following Jesus. We're perhaps risking acceptance by peers we work with and family members we love to follow Jesus. Jesus made it clear that it would involve sacrifices to follow him and asked his followers to also consider the costs. But I think what he's implying to con is, is to consider them, think about them, understand them, and then, what? Follow him anyways, right? Because in Jesus' words, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The costs of not following him are far greater. Maybe you relate to this over-eager disciple. You tend to make big promises to Jesus without actually considering the cost. You have a big emotional response when you experience the power of God in some way. And so you make big promises to God, maybe without following through with action. What costs do you need to consider? What comforts do you need to be willing to give up? Are you wanting to follow Jesus for the recognition you may receive? or in service to Christ as a response to his service to you? Are you just giving lip service to him, or is it a whole life service to him? So are you or have you been over-eager in following Jesus and forgot to stop, consider the costs, and then follow him anyway? Well, then we have another guy. Okay, and I call him under-eager. <laughs> He's a little under-eager. And he was another disciple, and this disciple says to Jesus, Lord, first, first, let me go and bury my father. Notice he uses this term, Lord, which means master. He acknowledges that Jesus has some authority in his life to actually give him direction. And then he says to Jesus, Okay, Jesus, but first, first I need to go bury my father. And Jesus' response to him is really interesting. Follow me. Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Interesting, huh? At first, Jesus' response to me seems so heartless, doesn't it? seems heartless, it seems insensitive and unkind. But it is a little more understandable if we kind of understand the situation at the time. When someone in Jesus' day said they wanted to go bury their father, it actually didn't necessarily mean he had died. Instead, what they were really saying is that they wanted to stay with their father until they died. Kind of interesting. And so this could be years away. And perhaps he was also thinking about his inheritance 
and the financial security that would come from that. This guy had all the excuses and none of the urgency to follow him. But this rather strong, shocking statement really reveals the true condition of his heart, doesn't it? Jesus was not his number one priority in life. life. I really relate to this guy. Maybe some of you do too. I guess I relate to both of them. <laughs> um, I've often thought this way. Sometimes I think about that with my family right now. You know, they're teenagers moving into young adults. They're engaged in their church. They're engaged in school, and they have good friends. And we're nice and comfy in our home in Langley. And I, wa I wonder sometimes if I fully give myself to Jesus, would he want me to give that up? Would he want me to give up that good life that I have? And I think, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere, but really not till after my kids are graduated from high school, or not till after I've launched them all well into life. Some of you will relate to that. But deep down, I don't want to sacrifice their security and therefore my security to follow Jesus. Even though I actually know in my head and my heart that a life in service to Jesus is the best life. It's actually the best life for me and for my kids. But I'm definitely under eager a lot more than I really would like to admit to myself or to others and would rather follow him in my terms rather than step out boldly in faith. So a good question to ask yourself is what are your but firsts, I call them. I'll follow you, but first I want to see what the party life is like. I'll follow you, I'll follow you, but first, Jesus, I just want to travel the world and experience everything. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first, I just want to enjoy high school or college or the single life. I'll follow you, but first, I just need to raise my kids and keep them safe. I'll follow you, but first, I need to make enough money so I don't need to worry about anything. I'll follow you, but first I need to retire. I'll follow you, but first I need to fix this thing about myself. I'll follow you, but first I need to deal with all these doubts I have. We have all of the excuses and none of the urgency. Well, anytime you think about changing the direction of your life, whether it's a little or a lot, Anytime you cry out to God and face the decision to switch directions, ask yourself this question, why not now? What am I waiting for? Why am I waiting? Well, this follower calls him Lord, but is thinking about what he needs to leave behind rather than who he is following. And if he is really Lord or his master, you would think that his priorities would look a little bit different. And I often see many people reconsidering their priorities. One of my jobs at Fellowship Pacific is that I coach different leaders and 
pastors and what they're doing. And often, when you're coaching someone, they're bringing the things that are challenging to them, and you're just help, helping walk them through a process to figuring out what they need to change or where they need to go. And one of the things, uh, conversations we're always having with different people is priorities and time commitments. It's something we all wrestle with all the time. Um, and sometimes, sometimes they, they're trying to figure out what exactly to do, what exactly is first in their life. And as important and worthwhile as these priorities are for them, Jesus wants our whole selves. So when we're looking at all the priorities that we have, Jesus wants our whole selves about, above every other thing. And when we give our whole selves to following Jesus, he gives us everything we need to follow him. It's interesting to me. If you look at the parallel passage in Luke 9, verse 60, Luke records Jesus' response in this way. He says this, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God so that you can declare the kingdom of God. Jesus was always highlighting the spiritual life over the physical life and the, the importance of others knowing him even over all those other important priorities in our life. And furthermore, following Jesus is not just for your own personal benefit, but it's also so others can know him, right? It's not just about what we need in our life, but it's about so others can know him. And when we are under-eager in our pursuit of Jesus, we usually lose that other aspect of other people coming to know Jesus. So, are you under eager? What do you need to give up to follow Jesus? When's the last time you made a bold declaration and sought to live it out? When's the last time you gave up a comfort, a dream to follow Jesus? And maybe today, Maybe today you need to ask Jesus, is there something I'm just holding on to too tightly that I need to lay down at your feet so that I can follow you? Well, you can apply this to your own life as an individual, but I think you can apply it to your church as well. Maybe there's something your church is holding on to too tightly what do you need to lay down? What tradition, what comfort, or way of doing something do you need to put aside in order to follow Jesus where he wants to go? What's the big, bold thing that God is calling your church to do next? We can look at these disciples. We can maybe criticize them a bit, or we can maybe see ourselves in their responses. But at least, at least they had a response to Jesus, right? Even though it was clumsy, at least they tried. And one response, I think, that is not acceptable when it comes to following Jesus is that neutral response, a sit on the fence and do nothing. Sit on the fence 
and do nothing. Well, boldness definitely looks different in different people, right? My friend Kaylee, her bold move to go join Operation Mobilization on the Mercy Ships might look different from what your bold move is and what Jesus wants you to do. But let that not be an excuse to seek out God's purpose for your life. You may see yourself, see yourself and think, I'm just a normal person. I don't have any great skills. I can't be like that person I see doing great things for God. The point is, are you following Jesus boldly into the next thing he's asked you to do? Are you even asking him what he wants you to do? Or are you telling him or others that you want your life to be about following Jesus? No matter how clumsy, no matter how illogical that might seem. Whatever you have to give, whether it's big or small, Jesus wants you to follow him with all of that. After all, he is worthy of our whole life. He is the Messiah. These followers of Jesus didn't even know the whole picture, did they? They only had half of the picture. But look at what we know about Jesus. We actually know the end of the story, that he died on a cross for your sin, that he rose again and he conquered sin and death, that when we believe in him, he forgives us. And he gives us a new life where we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We never need to fear that he is not with us. We never need to fear that he doesn't care about us. We know that he is for us and that we will spend eternity with him. We have the whole story. And this is who we follow. So do you need an orange carpet confrontation with Jesus? Is now a time, is this summer a time in your life where you need to make a change and have your life be all about Jesus? Maybe today is a day where you just need to get down on your knees, probably on your brown or gray carpet, not your orange carpet, and offer your life up to Jesus, wherever that may lead you and whatever that might cost you.